I'm Cynthia Farrell, owner and principal of 110 West Group, and I believe that the legacy you leave at a company is just as important as what you accomplish while you're there. I developed this perspective while on my own leadership journey, and now I'm passionate about developing what I refer to as legacy leaders, those who lead with a balance and blend of strategy, authenticity, pragmatism, and compassion. To bring this to life, I work with leaders to ensure they have the leadership skills, talent, and organizational culture they need to build a legacy culture and achieve legendary business results while establishing a positive leadership legacy. In season one of this podcast, I focused my conversation on how leaders were leading during a period of crisis. Moving into season two and forward, the episodes have a broader leadership and organizational culture focus. In many episodes, you'll hear leadership journey stories from leaders who have made and will continue to make an incredible impact on the companies they work for and the colleagues, employees, and customers they work with. They are legacy leaders. In some episodes, you'll hear from other thought leaders in the leadership and organizational culture space. And in other episodes, it will be me solo, where I'll dive into a concept around legacy leadership and share my thinking, experience, and stories. I'm a storyteller after all, and a legacy leader in my own right. If you know of a fantastic leader that I should speak to, or a legacy leadership concept you'd like to hear more about, please head to the Contact Me page on my website, 110westgroup.com, and drop me a note. That's 110westgroup.com. Welcome to This Is How We Lead, Conversations with Legacy Leaders. In this episode of This Is How We Lead, I speak with Tish Bulger about her leadership journey. Tish is the Chief Executive Officer of Girl Scouts of Minnesota and Wisconsin River Valleys, an organization that builds girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place. Girl Scouts Minnesota and Wisconsin River Valleys is the region's largest girl-serving organization, serving 28,000 girls in southern Minnesota, western Wisconsin, and a single yet important county in Iowa. Tish leads a workforce of 250, including part-time and seasonal staff, whose work is supported by more than 9,000 volunteers. A visionary leader with a proven track record of success in the nonprofit sector, Tish creates an atmosphere where collaborative strategic planning is aimed at unifying the organization, integrating business systems, growing and diversifying membership and revenue, while modernizing facilities and programming. During her career, Tish has also served in executive leadership positions with the Amherst H. Wilder Foundation and Alpha House Youth Services, as well as co-owner of Roots and Fruits Cooperative Produce Company. A past board chair for the American Camp Association, Tish's commitment for girls to reach their full potential extends through her work with other agencies and organizations that focus on girls and women's empowerment. She's authored essays and articles and is an experienced public speaker who has taken her own personal experience to educate and inspire people on how to prepare girls for a lifetime of leadership. Tish has a master's in education from the University of Minnesota and a BA from Carroll College in Helena, Montana. Tish, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. So I wanted to have you on the podcast um, because I think you are such an amazing leader, and I wanted to have the opportunity to talk to you about your leadership journey and hear about 
what that's been like, some key moments for you, how you approach leadership, and just get some you know, really important points of reference and tips and tricks from you on being a you know meaningful leader and having an impact. So what I'd love to start off with is just asking you, when you think about your leadership style and the leadership style that you've developed over your career, how would you define that leadership style and, and how did you grow into that style from you know where you might have started? I have really had the good fortune to work for several leaders who, in you know, one way or another, they really influenced and I'd say you know molded my personal leadership style. Although uh, not all of them I revered as positive influences, and I think you know I learned just as much from them. Um, but they gave me building blocks that I've been able to use to kind of find myself and my leadership style, and kind of find my place within different organizations that I've been affiliated with. It's hard for me to pick one kind of specific style for myself because I know that my style changes depending on the people that I'm leading, the situation I'm in, what I'm you know trying to accomplish. What I focus on is creating a vision for the future, something that people can feel inspired by and they find compelling. And it's something that I'm compelled by. It's important for me to be able to kind of motivate our stakeholders. I really believe in innovation and trying to create a milieu or an environment where innovation and risk-taking is valued. I believe in empowering my team. And I, I have a goal that to develop a high level of trust and relationships with the stakeholders for my organization. And for me, it's always been important. I work in the nonprofit sector and mission has always been something that has driven me. And I think that my leadership style is to lead by example. I hope that I'm leading with my heart and that people see that I have integrity. And then Having those strong professional relationships, that's really important to me too. And I've noticed over the years that I've been able to get kind of more decisive uh, and assertive. I think that, that over the years I've gotten more confident with my communication. And that's because I've had the opportunity to have such different experiences, situations, kind of circumstances, and I've been able to build a a repertoire, and I draw on that a lot. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. I'd love to dig into Good. some of that a little bit. You talked about the importance to you of building you know, trust and building those relationships. What are some of the approaches that you use to do that? You know, I think that being able to, and it's been interesting since uh, March, you know, our team has all been, you know, working out of their homes and we've been on Zoom. And um, so that's, you know, been, been more challenging to think about how do we make those personal connections. And personal connections are, I think, the thing that's most important and to really understand each other, to understand what our defaults are when we are under stress, understand what are some of the personal 
opportunities for development that we have and understanding and being self-aware and then creating a space where people can hear each other, but also really listen to each other. And I hope that I model that. I think that's something that I have to, I have to practice and, and making sure that there is the time and the space for people to really be able to listen to each other and ask clarifying questions. And that helps them connect. Absolutely. One of the things that I like to talk about with people that I've developed over my career and I'm not always very good at is I always remind myself, ask better questions Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I am naturally a storyteller. And so it's really easy to meet for me to get into that mode of telling rather than listening. And when you're thinking to yourself, ask better questions, it's really amazing what can come out of that. And, and one of my favorite uh, it's not a technically not a question, grammatically speaking, yeah. but is the three words "tell me more," you know, "tell me more." Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's amazing what you can what you can learn about people. Something else that you mentioned that I'd love to hear a little bit more about from you. You had mentioned that as you've grown in your career and your leadership style, you've found ways to be more assertive. And the reason that I picked up on that is because as women, that can generally be something that we struggle with being seen as assertive, which unfortunately often gets translated into aggressive. Um, And especially as a leader who is leading an organization focused on developing girls into strong leaders, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you've navigated that shift into being more assertive in a way that you're comfortable with. I learned the difference between being passive, assertive, and aggressive kind of mm-hmm. early in my career. At the time, I had the opportunity. I did an internship in college at a women's center, and I was a young college student, and I was in this women's center that was really grassroots, did a lot of advocacy, particularly around violence against women. And we developed kind of this training for for women about how to be assertive, right? And it was so interesting to me to have the opportunity to see women who were much older than I was finding their voice Mm. and being able to talk about, you know, how they felt about circumstances or situations, what was important to them. And we practiced it, right? I had opportunities to like practice being assertive in a very supportive environment. And I had the, the opportunity to kind of step into my assertiveness and knowing And being told, like, when I was being passive and challenged if I was coming on being really aggressive. So I kind of learned what that space was and got to practice it. And I, you know, that happened when I was in college, which was a very long time ago. And it has served me so well moving forward. And it's interesting, Cynthia, because you mentioned it, and I see it every day in our young professionals when we're talking, if I'm talking to a young professional who's come into um, our organization and they'll give me, tell me an idea that they have, and then kind of the lilting voice goes up, Mm -hmm. you know, I assertively give that feedback and to talk about kind of practicing how you want to be perceived by others. And, you know, all of this takes practice. You know, we're not 
I think some of us are born with personalities and attributes that contribute to us having the the chance and the opportunity to be a to be a leader. And but it takes practice. It's taken me practice. And sometimes, you know, I've needed the practice because I haven't done as well as I could or maybe should have in a particular situation. And I have always valued the feedback that people have given me and said, you know, this might have been another way to try that. That has been really valuable. I have observed the same thing with young professionals who have worked with or for me and have given them similar feedback. You, you know, you know what you're talking about. Right, you, right. you don't need to approach it from a perspective of, of almost as if you're asking for permission to share it. It's a question mark at the yes. end of, at the end, right? Part of it comes from back when I was in college, which was also a long time ago. I had a communication professor and I have always remembered him saying, women tend to equivocate when they speak. Ah, yeah. And I have been on the watch for that throughout my career. And, 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 you know, I don't always do it perfectly either, but it's using, it's doing things like taking the word just out of my email. If I'm writing something for some help or ask for some information, it's those little equivocations that you, when you start listening for them, you realize how frequently you do it. You know, you had also mentioned that in your career, you've had a couple of leaders who have really impacted you. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and about what the impact was. It's hard for me to narrow that down. Mentors have had an incredible influence on my life and on my career. And I have had some great ones and people that, you know, I've been in touch with since they supervised me 28 years, you know, but the person that, that comes to my mind right away is a is an old boss of mine, Dave Mayer. And he was my boss for about uh, 12 years. And like I said, that was almost 28 years ago. And what impacted me was his commitment to integrity. I learned from him that integrity is really about making your actions line up with your words. I just saw that in him that made a difference his commitment to inclusion. So if you think this was 28 years ago, Mm. we were just starting to kind of understand the importance of diversity in the workplace. But Dave talked about inclusion and he was one of the first people who helped me understand that inclusivity is really crucial for diversity efforts to succeed Mm -hmm. and how important it was that in my role that I was creating an inclusive culture because that was not only going to benefit my staff and their engagement and their productivity, but it was the right thing to do. And then the last thing is that his commitment to honesty and fairness. You know, I like, I always knew where I stood with him Mm -hmm. and I trusted him. And I think that trust and uh, mutual respect is so important. Like that just made us click and we got so much done because of that. Well, that's, you know, the second time you've talked about the importance of trust. That's obviously something that's really important to you in how you approach leadership and how you approach collaboration. You know, that is the basis of all relationships. You can quote unquote, build a relationship with someone, but unless it's built on mutual trust, 
it's not going to be an effective relationship and it's not going to be an honest relationship. And, and the way that you build that trust is through, you know, those, like you mentioned, those personal connections, I think showing vulnerability is really important. Um, we're probably seeing a lot more of that these days than maybe we did in the past yeah. just because of the, of the complicated circumstances that we're working under. And I think consistency mm-hmm. too, um, you know, that people need to know like what to expect from you and what kind of reaction you'll have. I've gotten feedback that I'm steady, like nothing really <laughs> can throw me. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is just my personality, mm-hmm. but part of it is that I really make an effort to be, to try to be consistent in what behavior people can expect. So you can come to me with a problem and it might be a really big problem or it might be a really big mistake mm-hmm. and I'm not going to freak out. <laughs> right. And that's what Dave did for me too. Right. You know, like in the position that I had with him is that there was a lot of volatility in the work that I was doing and a lot of opportunities to make big mistakes. And, and occasionally I would do that. And he would just like, listen and uh, hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. But I knew I could come to him and that he would help me not shame me or embarrass me or, you know, just make me feel bad. I had a leader like that recently and I just super steady. You kind of always knew what you were going to get with him. And I made a huge mistake and I caught it before he knew about it. And I knew that I had to bring it to him. I didn't want him finding out about it another way. Right. And that was, that was really hard to do. And so I went in and I sat down and I told him what happened and he listened to me and, you know, I told him what I was going to do to fix it and what I learned from it. And he looked at me and he said, did you learn from this experience? Yep. Are you going to make the same mistake again? Nope. Okay. Then we're good. Like, thank you. (laughs) That's Uh, right. Right. You know, and and I'm sure that if I hadn't owned up to it, if I hadn't um, learned from it, it would have been a different conversation, but it was still, I knew going in, I felt safe going in and presenting that to him and telling him about it because I knew what sort of reaction I would get. Yeah. That you felt safe Mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the interesting thing too, because when you have different teams and we all bring different parts of ourselves to those teams, there are things that get in the way sometimes of establishing Mm -hmm. trust, right? There's competition, there's personalities, there's, you know, there's just a lot of inexperience or, you know, just immaturity versus maturity. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so many things that go into that and having kind of creating that safe milieu and, knowing that you can kind of process something or that example that you gave Cynthia is just like that. That's what I want to be able to do every time. So you, you give me a segue into my next question. When you talk about, you know, all of our experiences and differences that we bring into the work environment. One of the things that I love to talk about from my own leadership journey and love to hear about from others is this idea of what I call unpack your bag and leave. Like what's the baggage that you're carrying around from earlier in life that impacts how we show up and it can weigh us down and it can cast a negative leadership shadow. So 
I'd be interested to hear, you know, as, as you've grown throughout your career and had these opportunities to self-reflect and, you know, self-manage, self-adjust, what's something, you know, what's a bag that you've unpacked as you've grown into your leadership? The thing that I think about, uh, I love the Jahari window. You know, the Jahari mm-hmm. window, the, it's the Jahari window. It was originally created by a couple of psychologists in like 1955 or 56. And it was a, it was a tool to help people kind of understand their interpersonal communications and relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's a, you imagine like this window and it's got four panes and one of the panes is like your open self. And that's what others know about you and you know about yourself. Mm -hmm. And then there's the blind self and that's what others know about (laughs) you, but you don't. Mm -hmm. And the hidden self, which is what others don't know about you, but you do. So it's kind of your secrets. Mm -hmm. And then the unknown self, and that's what others don't know about you and you don't either. Mm -hmm. So it, it, like I learned about this um, again, pretty early in my career and it kind of blew me away because the idea that there are things that I don't know about myself or how I kind of come across to other people without being told that, right? Right. That um, that there's this whole part of me that, you know, I think I'm communicating in a certain way and having certain behavior, but that's, and I think I know how that's impacting people. And I don't know that at all. And so to me, that was really helpful in the very beginning to kind of understand how I communicate with my myself and and others, but how I had to make sure that I was kind of constantly getting feedback. I also am really big in kind of taking assessments and understanding kind of some of those things. I know that I have a need to be liked, mm-hmm. and I also have a need to be in control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and so I know how that can impact me when I'm feeling stressed. I can get much more directive. I can be less empowering for my team. I can be maybe more critical of solutions that kind of come before me. Mm-hmm. I also, in that kind of that need to be liked, I can take too long to make decisions because I'm, I'm kind of weighing everything out and I, I maybe get a little stuck because there are decisions that leaders make that people do not like, you know, (laughs) and I, and there's, and, you know, I really believe in a bell curve. Like there's always going to be people kind of at one end of the continuum and at the other end of the continuum. And once I have all the information, I need to be decisive and kind of move forward. So there's, there's kind of that piece, but the, but the other piece that continues and I, and it's, I think so important to talk about it right now is that my white privilege mm. and understanding that is something that has been both a leadership moment for me, mm-hmm. but also a bag that I continue to unpack. Right. So, you know, I think it was in, it was probably in the eighties when I read the essay from Peggy McIntosh about unpacking that invisible knapsack mm-hmm. and it was white privilege and male privilege. It grounded me and a light bulb went on for me. And I remember sitting at my desk, I'd finished reading that and it had just like come out and it was in the, like I said, I think that sometime in the eighties. 
I picked up the phone and called Peggy McIntosh. She was at Wellesley and she answered the phone. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. You know? She was like, I just read this. It was like, you know, I was like, she answered her own phone. And we had this conversation. First of all, I was so impressed that like, I just called her up and she answered the <laughs> phone and we talked and it was, I will always be unpacking that bag yeah. and it will never stop. That creates a lot of emotions for me. And I think that it's something that as leaders, as white leaders, that's our work. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you're right. It's it's work that never stops because it's it's one of those bags where you take something out of it and you find something else beneath it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So last leadership question for you, and then we'll move into some fun questions. If you could go back and give one piece of advice to your younger self, as you started off on your leadership journey, what would that advice be? Relax. The most important thing when it all comes together is your family. Mm -hmm. And your family is whoever you decide your family is. But I have a few decisions that I regret that I made that put work over family. And in the end, when I think back to those, you know, I was not indispensable. Someone else could have covered for me. I just felt such a strong need to, you know, be that person that was there doing that work thing. And I shortchanged my family and I shortchanged myself. You know, they weren't huge things that, you know, there were big rifts in the family or anything like that about. But there are things now that I reflect on that. I regret. Right. Yeah. Choices that you would make differently if you had to make them now. Right. Yeah. And I think if I had, if I had just been more relaxed, had taken a deep breath, had, of course, it's so important to value the work that you have and to give it everything you you can. Mm -hmm. That was my dog. (laughs) Um, You know, when I, when I was making those choices, I thought they were the right choices. I had some, there was some ambivalence, mm-hmm. but I thought I was making the right choice. And, and now as I look back at it, nah, I could have gone the other way. Right. And those, but those moments, and that's the the importance of the looking back and the reflection to say, yep, maybe I would have done that differently. And again, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll do it differently in the, the next time. Well, let me, let me finish up with a few fun questions for you. It's been such a great opportunity and honor to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better and, and hear Thanks. a little bit more about your leadership journey. But I just want to finish up with some fun stuff because I like podcasts that finish up that way. <laughs> um, so uh, four fun questions for you. Something that most people don't know about you. Oh, well, I uh, was a co-owner of an organic produce distributor, and I was a member of a cooperative farm in Wisconsin. Everywhere, every time I travel somewhere, I love to see how people are displaying their produce in grocery stores and things like that. <laughs> is that is that like a relaxation technique? Like when you need it is, a moment? Yeah, 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 it totally is. It totally is. Uh, yeah, and I can, I know how to work a forklift and yeah, so. That's fantastic. Okay, next one, a favorite book. Well, I, I just got back from vacation where I uh, read several books and typically is about the only time, I, unfortunately, I read novels. But I, I just read The Nickel Boys by Holson Whitehead. Mm-hmm. It won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize. And it's, a, it's about boy, a black boy by the name of Elwood Curtis. And he's growing up 
in the 1960s in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. and he's sentenced to a juvenile reformatory called the Nickel Academy. And the book is actually based on the real story of the Dozer Reform School in Florida. Mm. And it's just, it's masterful. And it shines a light on our American history and Jim Crow era Florida. And it's just so well written and so compelling. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes when I publish that. Yeah, Nickel Boys. And then uh, the last two questions go together um, because since we really aren't able to travel much right now. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm projecting and asking about travel. So would love oh, to love hear that. your favorite travel destination and a place you want to visit, but you haven't oh, been to yet. I love, love, love to travel. And I've gotten to, to go to some fantastic places, but the happy place and the place that I keep going back to is uh, Flathead Lake in uh, Montana. Okay. And the place that I, the place that I would visit, there's so many places. It's really an experience that I want to have before uh, I die or before too much longer. <laughs> and I want, it's kind of a bucket. I don't have a big bucket list, but I like this one thing that I really want to do. And it's to see a great white shark in the wild. So I'd have to be in the water in a shark cage, of course. So I'd have to go to Australia, maybe South Africa, or maybe now you can go to Cape Cod because the great whites are back in Cape Cod. Fantastic. That sounds like quite an adventure. Don't you think? <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be fun. Well, Tish, thanks so much for taking the time to talk oh, with thank me today. You. Thank you. It has, again, just been such an honor to hear your story and I'm excited to share it with our listeners. Great. Thanks so much, Cynthia. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. That wraps up this episode of This Is How We Lead, Conversations with Legacy Leaders. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn about the work I do with organizations and leaders to achieve legendary business results and establish a positive leadership legacy, please head to my website at 110westgroup.com. That's 110westgroup.com. And if you know of a fantastic legacy leader who I should have on this podcast, Use the contact me page on my website and drop me a note. Thank you again and be well.